This week on the Empire Podcast, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp cast Dark Shadows, which coincidentally is the name of a new film. Mel Gibson tells us how I spent my summer vacation, which coincidentally is the name of his new film. And Edgar Wright drops in for a pod chat about his new interactive internet comic book, which coincidentally is not the name of his new interactive internet comic book. Now how's that? For a slice of fried gold. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which now goes all the way up to week 11. Amazing. Honestly, I thought we'd either been shut down by now or bumped off in a mysterious lift shaft accident. But here we are, bringing you guys the 38th finest movie news, movie reviews, and movie something else that rhymes with ooze around. The weed in this case, of course, refers to the Empire Podcasters, who this week include our very own Black Widow. Helen O'Hara, how are you? Um, thank you. I am well. Uh, that is a I'm assuming that it's a, yes, it's a compliment. Okay, just not the spider. It, it's we're talking Scarlett Johansson. Good, fine. Carry we, on. Scarlett Johansson. What? Anyway, we also have the Maverick <laughs> genius, who could be our very own Tony Stark, as Nick Assembly. And Nick, you're actually working on a goatee beard at the moment. What's going on? I just haven't shaved for a while. Well, thank you. Thank you're you. rocking it. You're is rocking that, it. Is that a compliment? And last but not least, it's Shield Agent Three, Ali Plum. Hi. <laughs> well, are you the okay. Agent Coulson of the group? Yeah. I am the son of Cool. The son of Cool, yeah. No, no, no. I'm the son of Cool. The son of Cool. Yeah. Uh, yes, two hours, not a year. Of course you are. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, and of course, the mention of Shield and Black Widows and Tony Starks and uh, all sorts means that this week, once again, and I'm sorry, Ollie Richards, we will be banging on about the Avengers probably endlessly. After all, this is the biggest show in town right now. But first. It's time to do our best Barry Took impression and hear your points of view. You've been talking to us via email and the Twitter sphere over the last week or so, so let's get down to it. At CliffJ71 says, very simply, <laughs> A-list movie stars as biscuits. Amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know why we never thought of this before. So, yes, if A-list movie stars were biscuits, who would they be and what would they be called? I saw this I, tweet. I saw this I, tweet. I've prepared, the best I could come up okay. with was Dane Cookie. <laughs> and Gary Baldy Busey <laughs> neither of which are really A-listers you stole my joke I was going to suggest that Gary Baldy would be Bruce Willis oh that's good oh, that's uh, good because he doesn't have any hair that's right well done that's amazing I've got Richard T Grant <laughs> oh dear that's um, good that's good that's also Bourbon Stiller no, I've lost you. Bourbon identity. There's, there's yeah. probably something there. Okay. Literally, I, I couldn't think of anything. Every, whenever I read this tweet, I just thought all that went through my head and still goes through my head is Twix, <laughs> which I'm not even sure is a biscuit. We did the Mate Twix one when we you're did, online, we, did. we did, we did like a, a, a bunch of uh, biscuits as movies. Yeah, uh, Mate Twix, mm-hmm. uh, the Mate Twix re-eaten. But otherwise, I can't think of anything. So, are we, are we out? I've are finally we out? got one last one, which okay. is Jamie Dodd, Gerard Butler. <laughs> wow Less is filling Right okay so At Sorry about that Cliff J71 We let you down With our biscuit banter Anyway At Hells Angel 66 Asks us to mention At Occupy Midian Who are campaigning to get the extended cut Of Clive Barker's Nightbreed Released on Blu-ray Which I can't say It's one I'm dying to see An extended <laughs> cut Although You know the original is quite muddled And uh, I know there was interference So more power to your elbow Occupy Midian Let's let's hope that one happens If you have any other burning issues You want us to campaign for Because I'm sure the Empire Podcast Will will convince studios (laughs) To re-release Nightbreed On Blu-ray Then please do get in touch At LJ Frack says Not sure if I'm happy about Prometheus Being a 15 When Sweeney Todd was an 18 And a musical Hmm Interesting What do we think? Well, I think the the important thing here, presumably, is that it's, you know, the film that Ridley Scott wants us to see, that he's not kind of watering it down to be a 12A yep. for, you know, studio box office reasons or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that equally, you know, he's getting a chance to, to put in what he wants to put in. I mean, if you look back at the original Alien, it would probably be a 15 now, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was an 18. Interesting enough, LJ Frack, you also said that Sweeney Todd was an 18 and a musical. I don't think being a musical has much to do with it, because Hmm. they can be 18. Sweeney Todd has rivers of blood. Yeah, I think it's just more unusual for musicals to be, to have that kind of adult content and to be that violent. I mean, Sweeney Todd is an an unusually violent musical, I think it's fair to say. Mm. There have been some other ones that have bits of, you know, sexiness in them, like uh, Avenue Q and things like that, which have yet to be filmed for the most part. Cabaret, maybe, was not an 18 in the day, but it was, you know, a little bit racy. Um, But it is still slightly less usual for, for a musical to be an 18. Indeed, indeed. At the Rusk, 1987 says, 
how can you guys mention 27 percenters without naming John Turturro? And then he went on to indicate that he was no longer going to listen to the podcast because last week we were talking about supporting actors mm. and we didn't mention John Turturro. Now, to be in fair, we weren't going through a list. No, we just we just gave a couple of examples. Yes. We in no way don't think that John Turturro is a, a 27 percenter. I mean, yes. he clearly is, isn't he's he? He's possibly even a 29 percenter. This Ooh. is a man who can make the Transformers films bearable when he's on screen. <laughs> this is the guy who managed to get into a Coen Brothers movie, The Big Lebowski, his own bits. And they don't allow you to put in your own bits. The whole stuff when he's taking the bowling ball and like kind of rubbing it between that big cloth between his legs and licking mm-hmm. his lips that's him improv all improv they just happened to have the camera on when he was doing it yeah they said they said <laughs> oh, okay the camera's rolling he saw it did it to this day he doesn't know he was in the film <laughs> <laughs> what a guy imagine his surprise so yes we love John Turturro and uh, John if you're listening uh, two things one please release Nightbreed and Blu-ray and two <laughs> come on the Empire podcast uh, next time you're over in London please thank you very much indeed now we have an email I know everyone's been on Twitter this week Goodness. but we have an actual email Jack McFadden says hey guys I was wondering what the Empire podcast team that's us considers the best and worst remakes ever I'll start the ball rolling this is still Jack McFadden not okay. me uh, he says best I'd say a fistful of dollars. Yes, True Grit. Yes, mm-hmm. and a Star Is Born. Brackets nineteen fifty four version starring Judy Garland. Yeah. Worst. Every single remake of Hitchcock film, especially Gus Van Sant's Psycho, mm-hmm. The Wicker Man, and The Day the Earth Stood Still. All of them utterly, utterly pointless. Well, I, we, unless uh, you count the Hitchcock film he remade himself. I was about to say that's yeah. true. Yeah. Interesting. Well done, Hitch. <laughs> uh, where do you stand on this, uh, Nick? Do you have any remakes that are better than the original? Uh, I'd go with Scarface. Uh, the Brian De Palma one and mm. yep. John Carpenter's The Thing absolutely absolutely. and actually yep. in, in both of those cases the original is good but the remake is just as good if yeah. not better I would say the remake in both cases is superb yeah. superior far superior in fact but I think John Carpenter might disagree with me about his own film actually uh, Ali what do you think of this one? I'm trying to think of some really really bad ones because you know these are great examples but I'm trying to think of some absolute stinkers that, we're, that are staring us in the face well the truth about Charlie I've got a couple the remake as well of Charade, yeah. the Jonathan Demi which oh. Guess who's coming to dinner? That turned into Guess Who, I think. That it? was awful. Now that's a bad uh, one. Also, actually, the worst of that particular sort of um, approach is Soul Plane. If you haven't seen it, oh. please, for the love of God, do not seek it out. It is one of the worst films it has ever been my misfortune to see. It is an air quotes urban version of Airplane. But what they've cleverly done is they've extracted every single funny thing in Airplane and they've replaced it with offensiveness. I believe Snoop Dogg plays the pilot. I remember, this is one of the first play reviews the I did for Empire. Yes. Really? Yeah. Um, what did they give it? One. Okay. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, I thought it was a five-star classic. <laughs> I, I tried to give minus one. I didn't know it was. It, it, was, it was unbelievably awful. I can't remember a thing about it. I must have well, done it on DVD then, because it was one of my first reviews as well, and I just... Has anyone here not been re-released? Soul Plane, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think they just re-released it's got more every releases week. than Nightbreed. Yeah, they were, they were hoping at some point to get a good review. Like, if we just release this it's enough. It's never going to happen. Someone might like it. It's the only film I've ever taken back to Blockbuster and they wouldn't let me take it back. <laughs> like, it wouldn't go in the bin. What's going on? Come on. <laughs> Seriously. But incidentally, what was the first one-star film you ever gave uh, for Empire? I think it was... I think it was that. Soul, Soul Plane? Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Mine was Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light. Is that the sequel to Soul Plane? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? it was a, a, it's a popular cartoon series with kids called Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, and this was the film, big film version with, and, and in the opening monologue where they're sort of setting up the world, they say that these big bad monsters were locked away forever. <laughs> and then they say... But even eternity doesn't last forever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the film got stupider from there. Amazing. Amazing. The first film I ever reviewed for Empire actually was Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre opening a car wash together called The Wash. <laughs> and I gave it a very generous three stars. Oh, wow. my Which I'd probably downgrade to one if I saw it. So suddenly you dead. became Empire's Snoop Dogg correspondent <laughs> at that point. They just thought. The urban enthusiast. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and Helen, um, oh, actually, my first one-star uh, review was uh, a film called In Betweeners, not The In Betweeners. Right, it was an absolutely dreadful film uh, about students going to university that had someone from Neighbours in it. I can't remember who it was. It may even have been Holly Philance. I'm not quite sure. It was someone along those levels, and Johnny Ball, Zoe Ball's dad, the guy who did all the number mm. stuff, and it was absolutely dreadful. And the director was in the room as well oh. afterwards he knew I was there from Empire and I'd, I'd been, literally been at the magazine about two weeks and he came bounding up to me afterwards what do you think what do you think and I went I, I, I left that was great I loved it loved it I've got to go always now. fake your own death in those situations <laughs> I know precisely and then just you know, silence for <laughs> several minutes and then I wrote a one star review and at last I heard he was he was crushed and angry and seeking my death and stuff but I don't know mate you made the film uh, but <laughs> anyway, I can't, so, so harsh <laughs> 
Helen, uh, mm. what's your best or worst remake? Uh, best remakes. I mean, there's actually a heap of really, really good ones. Heat uh, is a remake. Heat is a remake. Uh, in uh, a sort of Hitchcock vein of yep. that director. Dennis Two of film. my favourite films are Some Like It Hot and His Girl Friday, and both of those strictly remakes as strictly, well. Yeah. So, um, and I'd also written down uh, The Thing and The Fly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remakes yep. all the way. Good choices. Frankly. Good choices indeed. Sometimes. Um, at Beggars O'Hat says. Uh, here we go. It's an Avengers question. Will the Avengers dispel the notion that post-Dark Knight, that comic book movies must be dark and gritty, brackets Spider-Man reboot, man slash steel, which I believe is Man of Steel, but text mm. speak. I don't think that that notion necessarily pertains right now. And I think it was interesting, the Kevin Feige uh, podcast that we had a couple of weeks ago, which if you haven't listened to it not yet, I highly recommend. He did talk a little bit about the fact that they didn't go down that route automatically with, with the Marvel movies post-Dark Knight. They didn't actually, yeah. you know, take that approach as a, as a kind of an automatic assumption. And and I think, you know, stuff like Iron Man, stuff like Thor haven't necessarily been... They've been serious where it was needed to be serious, but they haven't been gritty in the same way. Yeah, and I think maybe that reflects Marvel's mindset. I mean, mm. You know, reading Marvel comics for uh, a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I I think that like, they are fun. Light and funny comic book movies work if they're actually funny. Otherwise, you end up with Batman and Robin. And, and, and Fantastic f- Four a little bit, yeah. Right, so it's a fine balance. I mm. think when they go wrong, they go really wrong. I think it's more about being true to what the what's good about the comic book, actually. So I think that's what, for me, that's why I'm nuts about the Avengers right now, because that's, that's the way I feel reading a really good comic book. Um, it, it has that kind of joy to it and that zip and that zing and that, you know the excitement of seeing crazy characters kind of come together and work together and that was exactly what that film needed and equally The Dark Knight was a really good approach to doing Batman and that was that what that film and that world needed mm. um, not, but I'm, sometimes it doesn't always work if you try and force it onto a character that it doesn't suit I don't think you always need to have a director who understands or grew up with the source material but I think it helps I mean obviously Chris mm. Nolan didn't grow up with Batman Brian Singer didn't grow up with X-Men those are great great examples of yeah. uh, comic book movies but Joss Whedon is a huge comic book fan and he knows this source material and he gets it and he understands it whereas for example, you said Batman and Robin. I'm not sure Joel Schumacher is a huge Batman fan. I don't think he had any reverence for the material. And I certainly don't think... Tim Story may be a Fantastic Four fan, but he certainly wasn't allowed to express that within the, the machinations of the studio system at the time. Joss Whedon was. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why The Avengers is the most joyous film I've seen so far this year. Uh, and uh, and you've seen it four times now, Helen. You've, you've overtaken my record. Come I have, on. yeah. I saw... So I've seen 2D, 3D, and then I went to see it with uh, motion 4D. seats a couple of times. <laughs> it's yes. essentially 4D, isn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's, what they, the, call, that's the, what they call the 4D experience. The fourth dimension parts. is actually time, so technically it's 4D anyway. If you watch it in space <laughs> on one of those moving chairs, that's 5D. That's what James Cameron well, saw last week. Yeah, he's like, oh, space, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think that would actually at that point have to involve some kind of quantum mechanics and stuff. It's, oh, he can do it. Okay. <laughs> we know he can do it. <laughs> we can't. Sold can. out the Pandora IMAX last week. <laughs> Uh, at the wet noodle says how about some hardcore geekery as if we don't already have enough Thor is physically stronger than the Hulk discuss no we're staying away from that one because frankly we're going to be here all day and that is a question with no correct answer unless of course the answer is the Hulk Hulk is the strongest there is Hulk is the strongest one there is absolutely right if you want to hear your name usually followed by some gentle abuse on the podcast then it's very very simple just send us an email to podcast at empireonline.com or tweet us using the hashtag empirepodcast and we're at Magazine. Of course. You can also Facebook us there. If you haven't visited our Facebook page, do so immediately. You can like us. You can poke us. You can throw a sheep at us. Frankly, we don't care. Go on. You know you want to. Okay, it's jingle time. You know the drill. We ask you to write a jingle. You respond. We listen. Our heads explode. This week we're going to take a break from the brilliant tyranny of microfarad Melody Eel and instead bring you this rather relaxing entry from Max Rosehill and the Blue Crooks. <laughs> wow, it suddenly wow. stepped up there at the end. <laughs> it got a bit creepy. <laughs> it went a bit weird at the end. I thought it was a bit like, you know, some sort of remix of Last of Summer Wine at the beginning. It was quite soothing. Oh, but it was like Boards of Canada. It was. It really, really was. If you want to jingle all the way with us, send your best efforts. No more than 15 seconds, please. As an MP3, one of those new MP3s, just put it in a, you know, in a, in a final record or something. Uh, send it to podcastemperonline.com. Uh, that was my phone going off, very unprofessional. And we may well give you your 15 seconds of fame. Where's the silent button? 
Okay, it's time for the week's movie news, aka let's talk some more about the Avengers. Uh, first off, let's let's have a natter, will we, about his yes. opening weekend in the States when it seems that pretty much everyone with eyes assembled in cinemas and propelled it to an astonishing two hundred and seven million dollar opening weekend. I'll say that again. Two hundred and seven million dollars. First time that's ever happened. First time two hundred yep. million dollars has been broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirty eight million dollars beyond the previous holder, which was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Ten. Uh two. Two. Yes. Oh, I get confused. I know. Uh, that's pretty astonishing, isn't it? Yes. Over seven hundred million dollars worldwide at this in point. In two weeks. Uh, yeah, fifty-four <laughs> million days, yeah. dollars here in the UK. It's about what thirty-something million pounds. Thirty-three. Um, it's doing. It's doing pretty well. It's <laughs> the understatement of the year. has just gone. To <laughs> it's doing all right. It's doing okay. It's you doing know. okay. Uh, it makes me wonder whether you know, with the success of this, there's been such a good groundswell of of buzz. That doesn't make any sense, but there's been a lot of that yeah, uh, over in Europe. Mm. And, you know, other areas where it was opened in advance. Does this mean that Americans were more excited about it because they saw it all online and saw the great reviews? Because our review came out a week in advance. Did they go, hmm, actually, this sounds like really, really good. So they got all their ducks in a row and just went, right, $200 million of us are going to go and watch this film. <laughs> I, I think kn- it probably did knows? help a little bit that it had done so phenomenally well around the world. Um, but I think, I mean, it actually did proportionately around, around the same uh, here and in the US uh, in the sense that in, in its opening weekend it outgrossed uh, all the previous Marvel movies apart from Iron Man uh, in the UK Iron Man 2 it did the same in the US um, worldwide it has now grossed more than Iron Man as well yep. um, so it's it's doing pretty phenomenally well I think it, I think it's just they, they got the marketing campaign right for this in a way that they didn't for John Carter say um, everybody knew what it was even if they didn't quite if, even if they hadn't seen the other films, which I think that was my only concern about it, was are people going to get this if they haven't seen Cap and Thor? And I think uh, the answer is a resounding yes. Absolutely. And it's fun. I mean, it's yeah. like you guys went back and saw it a number of times over a couple of days. It's just a fun movie mm. in a way that, you know, even a Christopher Nolan Batman film, you wouldn't rush back to watch it the same day or the next day, probably. Mm. Yeah, because it takes a little bit while, while yeah. to recover sometimes. Yeah. And, the, and the interesting thing about this as well is that this movie is two and a half hours long. Now, generally speaking, they tend to like their, their big blockbusters, the big record-breaking blockbusters, to be about two hours or under two hours so they can squeeze more screens into the day. So the fact that the film, which will be about three hours by the time you factor in adverts and trailers, that is a pretty phenomenal achievement. Um, and it's kind of come out of the blue in a way. People were going... You know, this this very magazine, for example, uh, predicted, predicted <laughs> that it would uh, gross $600 million worldwide in total. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. Sorry, that's right, because yes. I tipexed every single issue. Uh, <laughs> it Actually, took me a while, but let, I did. Let's get this on record. Chris and I, we didn't think that, did we? We did not think that, Helen. I thought $623 million. <laughs> no, I thought I thought this had the potential to make a billion. I didn't think it had the potential to make a billion in three weeks, uh, which is probably what it's going to do. It's been really, really quite astonishing. And the, the interesting thing is, uh, throw it open to you guys, who do you think? Will The Dark Knight Rises beat it? I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure anymore. Um, I think what's interesting, and I'm going to try and find a way to say this nicely, The Dark Knight had a huge amount of... Um, pre-release chatter as a result of a tragedy um, which was of course the death of Heath Ledger and Mm. um, that was uh, you know completely unlooked for and unwanted as that was that did have its effect in terms of getting it very much into the public consciousness um, even before it arrived now obviously there's a knock-on effect that film having done that well has a knock-on effect to its sequel and you know people are going to be interested in it who maybe wouldn't have queued up to see The Dark Knight Rises you know, had all things been equal, may well queue up to see this. But um, but you've got to wonder if, you know, given that it doesn't have that sort of artificial, and again, unwanted, I'm not suggesting, you know, Absolutely. this is a this was something that they, they were, were pleased about in any way, no. but um, not having that artificial boost, is it is it going to suffer as a result? And also, will it fit with the times, given that this, this summer has started off with this incredibly fun, incredibly good, big, huge action movie, are we going to go want to go and see an incredibly good but possibly quite dour action movie as a follow-up well bane has an army but the avengers have a hulk so i'm gonna i'm saying avengers <laughs> i yeah FTW. I, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you in this one. I you, you used the word suffer there. Well, the darkness rises suffer. Let's get one thing straight. The darkness rises uh, is not going to suffer. It's still going to make a better. Oh yeah, it's, it's still going to be absolutely yeah. huge. But will it beat the Avengers opening weekend? I don't think it will. Uh, and one of the reasons as well is that you mentioned obviously there's the, the you know a lot to talk about. People want to see Heath Ledger's final performance mm. or penultimate performance because it's actually the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. But it was the Joker as well, yeah. and that's a huge thing. I think people wanted to see Batman face off against the Joker uh, as as great a character I think Bane is going to prove and Catwoman's in this as well I don't think there is the must see for non-comic book fans with The Dark Knight Rises that there was with The Dark Knight however that said it is clearly going to be huge it's clearly going to be uh, hopefully (laughs) anyway a great film and an epic film Uh, and I think it's still going to be about 190 million I was just looking today and the fourth highest grossing film of all time as of right now and now this is probably going to change in about a week with The Avengers but the fourth highest grossing film of all time right now is Transformers um, Dark Side of the Moon from last year. Yeah. And and it's it's the fourth highest grossing film of all time because of, I guess, a combination of lots of people went to see it and also ticket prices, 3D bump, etc. Um, I would certainly expect The Dark Knight Rises to do that well. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely talking that ballpark. Um, but I do think, again, yeah, Avengers looking at the moment like it's going to be a little bit ahead. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, listen, <laughs> I've been wrong before. But, uh, you know... I, I, I may be wrong again with The Dark Knight Rises it may make $250 million on its opening weekend but to do so I mean if you look at uh, and I'm a box office nerd so please allow me uh, uh, to indulge for a second uh, The Avengers has a bigger pre-screen average than any film in the top five uh, fastest over $150 million it, by $11,000 it's ahead of Harry Potter it's ahead of Hunger Games it's ahead of The Dark Knight so there have to be an enormous amount of people uh, who, who didn't see The Dark Knight to go see The Dark Knight Rises and it's opening weekend in order to uh, beat the Avengers so who but knows? then there were an enormous number of people who hadn't seen Captain America and Thor who turned out for Avengers so oh, we I don't know what the, I don't know anymore Helen <laughs> you've confused me anyway let's move on but we Avengers. also we also should mention Avengers 2 in the least surprising oh, news God, yes, of yes. the world ever no has way. been greenlit oh I hate when people do this cash in on, a, on an unexpected hit I know <laughs> uh, so Avengers 2 has been announced for for what, which year have they given I it think a date they're yet? looking a couple of years ahead because they've got you know they've got Captain America 2 they've got Iron Man 3 and they've got Thor 2 mm-hmm. already lined up. There's obviously chatter about a Hulk movie given how completely dreamy Mark Ruffalo is in the role. <laughs> Wait, no, I meant good. Um, and uh, and so it's going to be a question of when they can fit it in. Um, okay. <laughs> One little point I'd like to make about The Avengers 2 is that I believe mm. Robert Downey Jr. has or is about to finish his contract as Tony Stark which was for three <laughs> Iron Man movies and the Avengers, uh, the cameo appearance in Incredible Hulk notwithstanding. So, presumably he'll want to renegotiate and presumably he'll be asking for uber cash, uh, mm. whereas Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth are locked into multiple movie contracts. Mark Ruffalo signed up for six movies. So that could be a sticking point. Uh, okay, right, that's it. Moratorium on the Avengers for this week at least. Uh, we're not going to talk about it again. Okay, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about a man who could single-handedly defeat the... Oh. It's Big Arnie. Uh, Nick, you want to talk about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, don't you? I do. Uh, he has, I believe, today signed up to star in the, a film called Ten, which coincidentally is the number of projects that he's currently uh, <laughs> on his slate. He is, I think, already got three films in the bag, and he's just arrived in New Orleans. He's going to shoot a movie called The Tomb, right? Yeah. in which uh, Sylvester Stallone is trapped in a prison of his own design, and Arnie plays the governor of mm. the prison. I hate I it when that happens. Oh, really? Arnie's, is, Arnie's the bad guy, or is he? does he team up with Sly? That to your knowledge we'll, we'll f- discover that next summer oh the, the um, plot twists oh. await and I just found out today that the prison Arnie said in an interview recently is actually on a ship in the middle of the sea which sounds Ooh. exactly like Face Off to me but <laughs> <laughs> presumably there's some other clever twist maybe That's it's nice. a helicarrier there's gotta be sounds yeah. like Fort Boyard yeah <laughs> Maybe Melinda Messenger. Oh, I hope it's a crystal maze. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. So Arnie is trapped in the crystal maze. In, in the industrial zone. Uh, he's also making uh, The Unknown Soldier, formerly called Black Sands, in which he plays an angel, and apparently it is Constantine meets Commando, which sounds brilliant. <laughs> and uh, he's already shot The Last Stand, which I think is Arnie versus drug dealers. And let's not forget The Expendables 2. Of course. So really four films already and then how many more has he got lined up what's this what's this slate looking like there were there was talk of Terminator 5 but I don't think that's happening uh, anymore right okay that was going to be Justin Lin uh, director of Fast 5 but he's busy well, making Fast 6 ma- making Fast 6 and Fast 7 back to back they're going to be in the country we should get them in that we should do awesome. we should do so he's been busy but I really want to see him do another film with James Cameron so 
Absolutely. Well, be- well, that that would bring us on to something else, wouldn't it? It would, but uh, in the interest of delaying that obvious segue, Helen, I just want to say, you know, because Arnie used to do this when he was acting before he went into politics, because he, he would line up really, really cool sounding projects. I'd like to see him resurrect some of those, like with Wings as Eagles or Crusade with Paul Verhoeven, something like that. I'd love to see him go back and have a crack at something that he used to do. I mean, uh, Ridley Scott's I Am Legend, I know we'll never see it now because of the Will Smith movie, but apparently that came really, really close to shooting. They were so close, and then the plug got pulled. I'd love to see some of those epic Arnie movies. The ones he's shooting at the moment, the ones he's lined up, seem quite mid-level Arnie. They seem almost like mm. raw mm. deal kind of budgets. What I want to see is, uh, I interviewed Stephen E. D'Souza uh, last year for Commando. It was 25 years of Commando. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Stephen E. D'Souza sent me the script for Commando 2. Really? Which was co-written by Frank Darabont. It's been wow. around really? for ages. Yeah, the two of them wrote it together. And I want to see that made. I want Commando 2. I want to see the script. That, I'll give it to you afterwards. Thanks. That would make James Dyer the happiest man on earth um, if that were to happen. Absolutely. Can we uh, can we do a segment on next week's show where we just read out excerpts from the script <laughs> of Commando 2? I'm up for it. It's <laughs> mostly <laughs> gunfights. But Frank Darabont co-wrote it. Yes. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And uh, yes, we were talking about that in interests of a seamless segue. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you say? Why he used to work with James Cameron. Hey, James Cameron's been in the news this week, hasn't he? Yes, he has, Chris. Yes, he's been declaring he's been in the he's going to be in the Avatar business, period. Thanks for that, Nick. Good assist. Uh, when it comes to movie making, of course, he's going to be in the Avatar business. He's also in the diving to the bottom of the sea and strip mining asteroids and generally being better at everything than everyone business. Uh, but... He's saying there could be an Avatar 4, apparently. Now, we has not made Avatar 2 and 3 yet, but he's already talking about Avatar 4. So how do we feel about that? I think it depends on Avatar 2 and 3 <laughs> a little bit. I, uh, think what's, I think what's happened is he's now figuring out the storylines for... I guess he sat down mm. to figure out what he's going to do in Avatar 2 and 3. Yes. And he must have come up with an amazing idea, what he thinks is an amazing idea for Avatar 4. So I guess that's good news that he's coming up with a lot of ideas for mm. new stuff it to could be, go anywhere to be fair when he said this the quote I've read of this is going you know now I'm in the avatar business I'm dealing with avatar 2 3 4 it was like that kind of expression he wasn't going right avatar 4 I've got that planned out 2 and 3 not so sure about but 4 well that's basically in the bag yeah but what he was also saying was that uh, he's not going to make any more films he's uh, his Lightstorm Entertainment production company has effectively shut down development and all other projects he's not accepting anything else it's Avatar, Avatar, Avatar. Movie making wise, like I said, from mm. here on in. Um, you know, I'd like to see. James well, that Cameron was do that was also else, kind of he was kind of point. emphasizing the producing wise. Um, he wasn't producing anybody else's movies, so um, yep. yeah, there's still room. I, I don't know. He's he's in the Avatar business. He's basically content working on Avatar movies and his documentaries. He said. Yeah. Um, yep. But at the same time, he's a guy who has multiple interests. Um, he thinks he's find the best way to address those through Avatar. I mean, you know, it's very much, obviously, the environmental message of those movies is something that's really, really close to his heart. Um, but if he comes up with some other crazy idea, then, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to just turn around and do it. He's in a position where he can, so, you know, brilliant. Absolutely. I don't think he wants to waste his time anymore on, you know, he's been talking for years about making True Lies 2 mm. or making Spider-Man or something. I don't think he really wants to be beholden to the studio system, necessarily. Yeah. Avatar obviously will be working with Fox, but essentially it's his gig. He gets to call all the shots. Oh, and also he is uh, still talking about making Battle Angel Alita, which is an adaptation of a Japanese manga comic book. Oh, that would be dead good. good. Yeah, very good. Uh, He's been talking about it for a decade, so I do hope he will do that, actually. That would mm. be great. Yes. Bit of diversity, Jimbo. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Ali, what's in your mind? Uh, what's on my mind is Kick-Ass 2. Uh, I've got a five-point uh, list of things that you need to know about it so if you'll just allow me I'm just going to serve them up and you're going to deal with it okay all on. right so organised Matthew Vaughan is not directing this movie no mm. come on but he is producing ah. yay and the reason why he isn't directing it is because of X-Men First Class 2 or the other name of that film whatever, <laughs> whatever it's going to be second class yeah recorded delivery <laughs> point number two Jeff Wadlow I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but let's call him Wadlow, who wrote, <laughs> directed Cry underscore Wolf, uh, and also directed Never Back Down, is writing slash directing, under the supervision of Matthew Vaughan. Uh-huh. And Mark Miller. Well, obviously. I think there was a little bit going without saying. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the book, Kick-Ass 2, is out on June the 15th, so if you want to know what happens, you can just read that. Point the fourth. Universal and Miller and Vaughan are also only currently working things out right now. And do we know who's back? That's the thing. No point, one, so point the five they're is just a working stuff question out. mark, uh, which is essentially 
who is going to come back. Chloe Grace Moretz is very, very busy and, you know, a very talented actress and in Hugo and so on. And obviously people are giving her jobs. It'll be difficult to get her back, I'm imagining. Uh, Mark Miller himself said on Twitter, and this is a direct quote, Sorry I can't answer any kick-ass two specifics for a day or two, but suffice to say that Matthew and I are very happy more soon. So it sounds promising. Hmm. What can it mean? What can it mean? I think it means that they're quite happy with how it's going, but we can expect more soon. Yeah, okay, I didn't didn't get that from that. Mm. Um, So, uh, yeah, he's saying, Chloe, Grace, Moretz quite right as it is now uh, may not come back but then there's Aaron Johnson his career's kind of taken off Christopher Mint Plass she so. has to come back doesn't she you can't have a kick-ass she without loved that yeah. yeah I would, I would a- think and so and also kick-ass probably <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes I, I, yeah, that true. is taken for granted I, Mark Miller said recently that they would have to shoot this film by 2013 by the end of 2013 in order to have the guys young enough to, yeah. to mm. make it work absolutely two of them are teenagers yeah. I remember uh, talking to uh, Matthew Vaughan uh, around the time the first one came out, and I was saying, "Oh, do you have any plans for Kick-Ass 2 And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I've got this. I've got this great idea. I really want to start the sequel like this, but it, no one else is going to let me do it." And he said, "We start with a, uh, you know, Kick-Ass walking down the street in costume, and everyone loves him because you know he's like he's like a vigilante hero now, and he's like, hey, I'm Kick-Ass." And he walks around the street, and Red Mist appears and goes, "Hey, Kick-Ass, fuck you!" Shoots him in the face, kills him <laughs> in the first five minutes of the sequel, <laughs> and then we we go from there somehow. And he's, an, I've never I've never seen it done before. I've never seen a hero killed in the first five minutes of his own sequel before <laughs> let's, let's go with that would a new title card come up and say Red Mist <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool be amazing that would be um, awesome I do think that's going to happen actually in one in one um, film this summer what? You, do you think trying to figure what, out what? I, I think I know which one it is yeah what? yeah it's yeah. adventurous isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that is not a spoiler I do think I know which one it is but uh, obviously we can't talk about that no. until the time comes <sighs> or you could watch the trailer and it'll be pretty or you could watch the trailer yeah yeah is it Richard Iowati in The Watch? <laughs> it is Richard Iowati in The Watch, which is not a sequel to anything. It's a sequel to the IT crowd. It killed Moss! <laughs> I can't believe it! Uh, okay. That's also not a spoiler. Fans of Edgar Wright, the internet, comic books and writer's block will be in hog heaven right now for Edgar, the director of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim vs. World, in case you haven't been paying attention for the last 10 years, has recently launched his own interactive online comic book. The Random Adventures of Brandon Generator, created with comic book artist Tommy Lee Edwards, tells the story of a writer experiencing crippling writer's block and then asks his readers to come up with storylines and ideas for future installments. Interesting stuff. Edgar popped into the pod booth recently where Helen and I gave him a figurous grilling. Oh. Not like that. Uh, yeah, so we're here with Edgar Wright, movie director, raconteur, and now comic book creator with uh, the random adventures of Brandon Generator. Am I, am I a good raconteur? Yeah, you are. You tell a story. Okay, I'm not PT. You're about to I'm prove, PT, you're about to prove I'm it. I'm not PT Euston, though. <laughs> Kind of thing like <laughs> raconteur is like applies to Victor Spinetti and Peter. I just I just see you Who doing the sellout theatre tour. Bernard Chamley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those two. Well, now we can add your name to it. Okay, but uh, let's but anyway. see. Let's see how we get on. Yeah, I think I say amina and like too much for like a raconteur. <laughs> we will be. I judging genuinely your... have thought about going to see a speech therapist because I say kind of like a lot. Oh, sometimes yeah. when people some, somebody cut together one of my interviews where they just had those bits and it was it was <laughs> appalling. It's absolutely appalling. What like a footballer. Yeah. Also, like a couple of times, I've done interviews where somebody is, especially on the, it happens on the web. It doesn't happen with, like you know, proper journalists like you. But sometimes, like on the web, people will do a, a straight transcription of what you said, and that's horrifying. Yeah. Because they're thinking, oh my god, I, is that what I sound like? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so sometimes I've actually offered to say, can I just edit that for you? Like, give me that document, and I'll edit it and take out every time I say kind of like um sort of like <laughs> kind of like. So, so bad. Do you listen P- to P- yourself? Peter Snuff doesn't do that. Well, not anymore. He doesn't. No, oh, he didn't soon. do that. Well, it's not too soon. He's well, been dead for years, for God's soon. sake. Uh, but yeah, so do you listen to yourself? Do you do you you know watch stuff and cringe a little bit when you when you think, say things like like and I don't um I don't as a rule like listen to my commentaries back sort of to get to sleep or anything like I, <laughs> I find that a particularly comforting thing. <laughs> Writing down the number of times you say like that was yeah. thirty seven likes that time. I do it the same uh, when I listen back to the transcripts of my interviews. I say absolutely way too much. And uh, in terms of that's another big one for me. But uh, in terms of this new comic book, <laughs> hey, there we go. Nice segue. Uh, how did they come about? It was absolutely... Um, <laughs> I didn't know where the rest of that sentence was going. No, basically, well, it's just something... It's, it's been a really interesting project because it only came about in January in terms of mm-hmm. um, Microsoft asked me if I'd be interested in doing like an interactive project. And this is something that Brandon Generator is, is essentially to show off all the snazziness that you mm. can do on HTML5 and IE9. 
but it's also kind of supposed to be like a creative site in that it's um all all that was really pitched to me was that something that's kind of interactive with a crowdsource element tommy lee edwards is going to draw it and we need somebody to write it so but the actual idea which it became which i came up with is that what if you had a, a comic about a writer who's stuck <laughs> and at the end of the episode people reading it or watching it you know um get to contribute yeah, and they yeah. can do that with prose and drawings and audio and then we or rather i apply that into the next episode so it's a way of like sort of cre- basically kind of like uh, a having like a bit of animation that you can watch and enjoy and you know the yeah. the, the artwork and the animation is really beautiful and julian barrett does the narration yeah. and david holmes is doing the music and i've written it but then at the end of it you basically get to play around with his desktop. So there's that kind of strange thing of like, I think what I came up with the idea is basically the character is kind of based on me. And and last year, <laughs> I in fact, I was going to say, yeah. Well, you know, it's also like a, a, a cry for help about my <laughs> ad- my addiction to the Nespresso Pixie machine. Um, I keep mentioning Nespresso Pixie, and maybe they'll give me an extra one. Um, but basically, like uh, I'd written this thing like last year on my own, and it'd been the first screenplay that I'd written for a long time on my own. I'd written with Simon Pegg and Joe Cornish and Michael Bacall, and I hadn't written a screenplay on my own since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it's a very different thing when you're working on your own because you're when you're, you're your own boss, you're completely vulnerable to yeah. distraction and procrastination. And so I sort of wrote. Sort of. There you go. That's the first one. <laughs> Maybe there's been some more. Maybe she play a drink again. <laughs> oh, don't! I'll die. I'll die. Don't not take a shot every time I say a shot of espresso. Yeah, every alcohol time. poisoning. <laughs> shot of espresso. So I wrote this. Uh, I wrote the tale. It's basically an exaggerated version of me. Okay. And I like this idea that basically he has 13 expressos. I never had 13 expressos in a day. Maybe if I had eight, it's been my max. <laughs> Although maybe eight double expressos, which is 16. Well, this is 16, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I've already gone over that limit. <laughs> Today? <laughs> Me and Simon became obsessed. I think it was around the time of Shaun of the Dead that there was this tabloid story about Peter Andre where he had eaten too many bananas. <laughs> he had <laughs> eaten too many bananas and had had a sort of a potassium overload. <laughs> and so we finally... And it's funny, it always comes up as calling it Peter Andre's Banana Meltdown. <laughs> and so it was because I eat quite a lot of bananas as well. And I was in the back of my mind, I think, oh, I don't want to have a Peter Andre Banana Meltdown. Oh, it could be a great name for a cereal. Yeah. I would happily buy a box of Peter Andre's Banana Meltdown. <laughs> but uh, so the, the, the Brandon is essentially you. So you had, did you have that last year then? That, that fear bit. of the white cursor, the blinking cursor and the white I screen? do have this thing that I think a blank, yeah. A lot of the stuff that's in the first episode is kind of me talking. I do think <laughs> there's something weird about a blank document is a lot sort of more hypnotic and kind of scary than like a blank sheet of paper. Because like, as much as I write all the time on a laptop, it's much easier to scribble and you kind of feel like you could fill up a whole piece of paper like without yeah. even thinking but actually sometimes just like a, a new document doesn't look particularly welcoming whereas like any kind of like lined kind of pad you can fill up in seconds or like yeah. draw lots of doodles in the margins and stuff so there was something to do with that in terms of um and and also i i would do some stuff where i'd sort of just try and keep my kind of brain firing by looking for like random interjections be it like reading the paper and writing down odd surnames and street names okay and um also driving around in the car with like uh, the radio on scan have you ever done that like no. so where you just press scan looking for the next station but just leave it on there and i sometimes would record it and you get like little 20 seconds of everything Okay. And it'd just be... So I was sort of looking for sort of weird inspirations like that. And sometimes the way I arrange my iTunes is in a particularly weird OCD order of, like, length first. Have <laughs> you ever done that? Do you ever done duration? Have you ever played your duration, iTunes no. duration? No, but I, I'm, I'm going to do it today. Well, start with the shortest ones, and it's kind of a trippy experience. All right. I don't really have a lot of short uh, songs in there. You'll be surprised. Yeah. Well, I have, I have about 20,000 songs on mine. And so I, I sometimes like play it like sort of shortest ones first and it's kind of, you know, with, within like sort of, um, you know, 20 minutes you've heard like 40 songs, you know, it's kind of <laughs> interesting. So, but then there are things that Brandon does in the episode that I've never done. I've never done the Scrabble thing of trying to come up with a name by throwing a load of Scrabble letters. Okay, but have you done the uh, William S. Burroughs kind no, of No, but that phrase comes from Beck. 
And David Bowie used to do it, yeah. like counting up the papers. And then Beck used to do it as well, and he used to call it word salad. And I thought, well, that's a good phrase. <laughs> that's a lovely phrase. So I kind of that's that's um, uh, inspired by Beck. And um, what about the dictaphone thing? Do you do that? Do you record ideas on dictaphones? Sometimes I've done that when I've been driving. Sometimes if I've done a road trip, I've done that. Sometimes I remember once I know I've recorded other people. I've interviewed other people. I remember one time I was talking. So I interviewed somebody kind of when we were driving and just left the dictaphone running as we went to went go, get, go and get lunch. So it was just left in the car when I got back. I realised that there was going to be, like, a, a half an hour of good stuff and then literally <laughs> just, like, 90 minutes of dead air when we were having lunch. So I just left it running in the car. <laughs> but um, what else? Um, I think also as well, I, I do, like, think sometimes a lot about the imagery that, like, everyday things conjure up, like mm. the Thesaurus. Yeah. And the search engine, like I always kind of think there's things that you just take for granted, like the search engine and just to kind of try and think about what, you know, like Brandon, if he's thinking about things too much, he just starts to kind of, and it's true, I always thought Thesaurus was a, a cool name for a dinosaur. <laughs> 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 and that the search engine might actually have pistons and stuff <laughs> and maybe look a bit like the Lionsgate logo. Yeah. Well, you know, we haven't been to the headquarters of Google for all I know. It, it could be. Does. I mean, it could. Yeah. Or Bing, or Bing. Sorry. <laughs> we have to be all inclusive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is a Bing. It's not the BBC, this, is it? No, no. Yeah. We're okay. Other, 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 other Google are available. <laughs> yeah. Other search engines are available. <laughs> Look for them on Google. Um, I mean, there, there's a kind of a tradition of uh, writer's block literature in a way. I mean, this, this kind of reminded me a little bit of Barton Fink and a little bit more of um, that episode of, of Sandman uh, involving the muse, Calliope. Oh, I, I never... It's s- not that twisted. Oh, right. Yeah, I've never actually read that. I out myself as a sort of get my geek car takeaway. I've never, I've never read that one, actually. I know. We're right next door to Forbidden Planet. <laughs> I guess you I could can. go and get it straight away. <laughs> you could, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I actually have some Forbidden Planet vouchers. I've got no, no <laughs> excuses. Uh, yeah, I guess that there's that. What else is there like that? Like, I guess there's things like... Um, well, what's funny as well is that I like the idea of doing a, 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 a comic about it in terms of, um, you know, because you, you wouldn't really you wouldn't do a Marvel comic about that kind of character I like the thing of just kind of illustrating what's like your desk and beyond and what kind of fanciful things that he I mean the 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 irony is supposed to be that he's completely stumped for ideas and yet he's like sort of over romanticizing everything (laughs) around him so it's actually like there are lots of ideas going on in the room it's just like but none of it's getting onto the page do you call that thing the the, the idea was a Dracula time I do you know that's that's absolutely the place that I was staying in and in LA at a certain time of day because the sunlight is really bright there it would come through the window and hit the desk and I would have to move at 10.30 because the shaft of sunlight was so bright <laughs> so it was a weird thing in your daily routine if you're like work you know thinking oh I can start working at 9 yeah. and at 10.30 I've got to move for an hour because that's when the light hits that desk <laughs> through this kind of like high window right yeah and I would call it 10.30 would be Dracula o'clock yeah that's absolutely that, that's yeah Less so a lot reduced. of those things are like are absolutely real so I kind of thought I'd take all these things that have a lot of visual imagery, imagery to them and I wanted kind of people using it to feel like they were looking at a mirror do you know what I mean yeah and it's a nice thing that after you watch the animation film then you're playing in his hub but you're essentially looking at his desk yes <laughs> it's yes. this weird thing of looking at your laptop at his laptop you know what I really like about the idea as well is that it's about writer's block but it's challenging essentially everyone who watches it to overcome writer's block and yeah. come up with ideas for uh, for Brandon. Well, what's really cool? I don't know if you've been on there, and there's all people's submissions are on the site now. Like, so you can look at all the sketches and all the pros and listen to all the voicemails. And what's really interesting about the pros is how many people have just picked up the ball and run with it in terms of writing in what they perceive to be Brandon's voice. Okay. So taking themes from what's in the film already. So it's not like I know they did that competition on. There's that thing on Amazon where they would like wanted spec scripts on Amazon and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So of course with that you're just going to get whatever body's got to hand. But with this, people have specifically written something, having just watched the film, and then the tool is right there, and they're listening to the music that's still playing, and they write something that's in keeping with the tone. So what I've been really impressed by, and there are like thousands of them, and I've read like nearly all of them, <laughs> is uh, how many people are kind of writing in the same voice. And there are even like people who are like established like screenwriters who've written like Max Landis and Seth Graham Smith both wrote wow, bits really? on there. But I think just to amuse themselves, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. almost like a thing because if you do have writer's block or any kind of creative block, the best thing to do is go off and do something else and then come back. Mm. And so in a way, the website gives you that opportunity to kind of 
fool around and it's like you know draw a monster write the next 500 words you know and at the end of each episode there'll be another like kind of prompt of like okay do this like give people a task Is and it? with different talents as well I think people are a bit people are a bit more um, they've been more prose and sketches than voicemails people are a bit more chicken about the voicemails <laughs> and there's as well there's a lot of good ones on there but there's also a lot of people that kind of like hang up immediately <laughs> so they call the number to see if it's real and then you get if you've called the number you get julian's voicemail oh really yeah so you get a voicemail oh. from brandon but then what's funny is that and there's some really good ones and the thing is you know and what genuinely because sometimes with these things when they're these interactive projects it's all been written before and then it gives you the the feeling of that you can control it but mm. when people watch episode two there'll be seven or eight people who will flip out when they kind of when julian is reading their words loud or their awesome. voicemail is in the animation and stuff does that make your job easier in a way as a it's writer it's just kind of it's just fun really the whole idea with it was that i thought you know the name of it is it's a play on words with random generator i thought i will i'm happy to take kind of these curveball suggestions from people mm. and try and incorporate them into the story and so it's been it's been fun to do that without you know and it's not just from one person i'd like to sort of take probably in the second episode there's stuff from eight different people and uh you know so they'll all be credited by their twitter and skype names i guess <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you do you find you know that uh, is anyone trying to become Brandon? Have you just have you just seen that yet? That that phenomenon because you know given the films you've been involved with, you've 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 seen the uh, the, the the further reaches, I guess, of, of fandom people dressed up as Sean. So. I guess I guess with this, it's that it more more of what I've got is people kind of said, especially other writer friends of mine, have sort of said, oh, um, I didn't. Drew Goddard watched the, the the film and he emailed me and he says, "How did you know about my daily routine?" <laughs> like, so I think more for people like kind of like because you know like so many of us in in all different kind of like walks of life, our our day is sitting in front of that screen. Yeah, you know, and uh, and it's it's both kind of like an an amazing thing and also like a little prison as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it could be it could be terrifying. Yeah. It really can. It's not a, you know, and it's 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 there's the, um, it's and also what's amazing with this is just to kind of like mirror the whole experience is that for the most part all of the different people working on it have all been in separate kind of cities or countries and I'm the only person who's kind of actually sort of talked to each one of them like the dif- disparate people have not necessarily met. Like, so <laughs> Julian Barrett has not met Tommy Lee Edwards. Tommy Lee Edwards has not met David Holmes. Okay. And I'm sort of, you know, kind of overseeing it in two different countries with them in, you know, four different cities, you know. So that's kind of interesting. So, did, um... so in that sense, it's kind of all done by emails and Skype calls and, you know, and just over the computer. I mean, so did you um when you came aboard Tommy was our, uh, Tommy Lee Edwards was yeah, all, yeah. already on board but did you bring David Holmes and Julian yeah, on Yeah I did Well Julian I've known since Asylum probably never to be on DVD because <laughs> um, I think whoever like signed the contracts at the time never did like a, 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 a it was before people knew about DVDs Right yes. one of things where they're at, so It's on Betamax um, right Have you ever seen it No I haven't seen it It's pretty it's pretty crazy it's, it's the sort of it's the it's a real kind of like sort of lost kind of um cult item I guess the people who have it have it on VHS, but mm. it has like a crazy cast of like Simon, Jessica, Bill Bailey, uh, Julian Barrett. Um, I don't think you think uh, I've seen anything on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? I is think it is on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's pretty crazy. And in fact, like Julian's character in Asylum was a guy called Victor, and that became the model for Brian in Spaced. Right. And then for various reasons, Julian couldn't do it. Um, and Mark Heap kind of came in and sort of changed the character actually then it became sort of something different but there was a point where Julian was going to be in Spaced okay. um, as the sort of like you know the third lead I've been friends with him ever since and we did a music video together as well and I've always wanted an excuse to work with him again yeah. in fact I worked on the Mighty Boosh pilot with them weirdly just before Sean and Dead I was like their script editor on like I think I script edited like three episodes like the pilot and two of the episodes of wow. the show so I, I've known them forever, and I, I love Julian dearly. Coming up soon, we tackle the week's reviews, but first, it's competition time. Last week, we offered you the chance to win a signed copy of Game of Thrones, signed by George R.R. R. Martin, and not any of us, thank God. It was the most popular competition we've had in our 11-week history, our illustrious 11-week <laughs> history, with dozens of you, literally dozens of you, scrambling to answer the question, which was... What does the RR stand for in George R.R. R. Martin? Well, the answer is, of course, 
Raymond Richard, or is it Richard Raymond? I honestly, I can't remember. Either way, it's disappointingly mundane, but what it all boils down to is... Congratulations to Laura Penny. You have won the prize. We'll be sending the book to you this week via First Class Dragon, so do enjoy that. This week's competition will offer one lucky reader the chance to enjoy the first four seasons of True Blood on Blu-ray. It's out on May 21st, and it's the True Blood Seasons 1-4 to box set, which I thought would have been obvious. To stand a chance of winning, answer this week's ridiculously easy question. Who wrote the books on which True Blood is based? Got it? Helen mm. knows. She's putting her hand I up do. in the air. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't win. You can't win. Uh, send the answer along with your name and address to podcast at empireonline.com. Now, for years, man has been asking the big questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? And what shall I see at the cinema this weekend? Well, we can't help with the first two, but we can just about help with the latter in this week's review roundup. The big one this week is the latest collaboration between Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. It's our 47th to date, roughly speaking, I think. Dark Shadows is a creepy, kooky, spooky, ooky, big screen version of the 70s soap opera about a vampire blending in with a modern day family. It's not quite Sunset Beach, but it's pretty damn close. So is this one closer to Ed Wood? Or something that Ed Wood might have made. Helen? <laughs> it's pretty much exactly halfway between those two, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, but deliberately shonky, I think, in a lot of ways, in the way that the TV show was. Now, the TV show never really came over here. Nobody here has ever seen it. Um, and uh, from judging by the clips that I've watched online, there's a good reason for that. It was rubbish. Uh, but in a fun way, I guess. So um, <laughs> Johnny Depp here plays the sort of... Um, the guy who was turned into a vampire by an evil witch played by Eva Green. He was uh, buried in the 1700s and has now been dug up in 1972, which is kind of the the movie's present day, um, and basically tries to restore the fortunes of his descendants. So there is a family led by Michelle Pfeiffer as kind of the the matriarch. Chloe Moretz is one of the kids. Helena Bonham Carter... Chloe Grace Grace Moretz, I apologise. Helena Bonham Carter is the psychiatrist in residence. Johnny Lee Miller is the wastrel younger brother. Um, it's it's not you know your average kind of nuclear family. <laughs> um, and then uh, so Johnny Depp sets out to help them, but the problem is that the evil witch played by Eva Green she's still around. No way. I know. Did not see that coming. Hey. She is really fun in the film. She is very fun in the film. Given that we always see her in like serious indie movies. I mean, even her Bond girl was quite serious. So this is a bit of a change for her. She's having a really good time and kind of playing the Michelle Pfeiffer role from Stardust a little bit Mm. as the crazy witch who's throwing people around. And it all all becomes a bit Death Becomes Her towards the end. And there's lots of weird kind of, sort of strange physical comedy, bizarre stuff going on. (laughs) I'm not sure how to describe it, but she is fun. She so is definitely body's and, been twisted around and stuff like that. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit odd. Uh, Johnny okay. Johnny Depp is also, I think, having a ball as uh, as Barnabas. He's clearly a huge, you know, fan of the of the the character and also just of being a vampire, which he hasn't quite been before. I think I'm right in saying, even though we kind of think of it, he's been on all these kind of dark, twisted movies, he hasn't actually played a vampire. So, um, so he's clearly having uh, the time of his life. What is weird about this film, though, I think, is that. You know, on one hand, it's quite silly and crazy and is almost like a kid's movie. And on the other hand, Johnny Depp, who's kind of our hero, kills a load of people. Right. A lot of people. We Innocent meet, people. We meet him in the modern day, as you say, mm. 1972. And he goes on a spree. Uh, yeah. He is a thirsty man. And a lot of people get their blood nicked. So don't don't watch it with your little sister. Yeah, well. no. Certainly, I didn't and get... also, it's a bit raunchy in places, so don't watch it with your mum. Raunchy. Don't watch it with anyone. Watch it on your own <laughs> in a coffin. Um, but he's really Depp is really fun with the physical stuff. He yes. has these really long, creepy fingers. He has two knuckles on each finger, mm-hmm. and he has weird kind of hair plastered down on his forehead and very pale skin. And he plays the character very well physically. I thought the culture clash comedy stuff was a bit repetitive. Yeah. It's a lot of him looking at things and going, well, what is this? What is this magical box? And, uh, you know, pretty much over and over again for about half an hour. And yeah. I got bored of that. I, well, you did. I thought that was actually kind of okay. I kind of, that's what I'd signed up for. When I watched the trailer, do you remember when we discussed it a few uh, mm-hmm. weeks ago? It was um, exciting. I thought, well, this is maybe another return to comedy form for Tim Burton. Is this going to be a light uh, exciting family thing? Adam's family-esque? No. It is pretty, um, yeah. The tone does go all over the place, and there are a couple of times when they run out of piers to jump off in terms of how they can push you. But it's visually stunning. Yeah. This house they live in, which is called Collinswood, is stunning, inside and out. If you're into that whole Burton aesthetic of, ooh, spooky, gothic, ah, this button presses this and opens a door, and ah, that's all there. You will see all of that. But 
Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be a bit shonky and a bit rubbish, and mm. I was. I, it wasn't. It was amazing production values mixed with quite rubbish mm. sort of soap opera dramatics. Yeah, the plotting really was where they they brought the shonkiness in. To be perfectly honest, and the, some of the comedy is so broad. There's a running joke about Alice Cooper. Uh, yeah. Johnny Depp thinks Alice Cooper, who who cameos in the film, is a lady, and it just gets played. There's a whole scene, <laughs> which is just him going, "She must be amazing," and uh, there's a there's a whole routine about the word balls, which mm. I, I admit that wasn't its finest moment. Uh, <laughs> but for the uh, this is I always say these really faint praise things when we review movies. But the first hour, I was smiling, chuckling away. I thought this is really pleasant mm. and I think when people come to watch it they'll see what I mean there is a bit I think this is a two hour movie but in the last 20 minutes uh, things just go haywire yeah. for me um, and whether you're into that and you know Burton isn't above doing this then you'll you'll have a riot uh, otherwise you might be a little bit nonplussed yeah I think it kind of st- starts well and ends well and could have done with maybe a little bit of you know tightening up in the middle mm. is there a sense that uh, Burton and Depp might be a little bit on eccentric autopilot with this one I think they're trying hard. I think they both love Dark Shadows, the original TV show. So I don't think autopilot's the right word because this is coming from a place where they both love this thing. It's a bit of a mess, is all. They haven't nailed how to do this. So it's it's uneven. The tone is all over the shop. But I think they're trying hard. I don't think they're being lazy. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I think think they just... Yeah, it could have just done with another couple of passes on the script for me. Okay, okay. So where does it stand for you in terms of their collaborations in the past? I mean, we've got likes of Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride. Uh, stop me if I'm leaving anyone out, any out here. <laughs> I would uh, say, personally, it's above um, it's above Alice in Wonderland yes. and probably Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but definitely, defi- definitely below the Edwards, uh, Woods and And not as good as Sleepy Hollow, which is my favourite. I would agree with that as well. Sleepy Hollow is your favourite? I don't know about it being my favourite. I love it. But um, I, I do think it's not as good as that. Yeah, it's it's a weird choice for favourite. But I think as uh, Ian Freer, who reviewed it, said, it is not tip-top Tim, uh, but it is better than those, you know, those mm. two recent children's uh, adaptations he's done. Fantastic. So it's uh, not tip-top Tim, but neither is it bargain basement Burton. Quite so. Excellent stuff. Three we gave stars. it three stars. So that's a uh, recommendation. So if you're stuck for something to see at your local multiplex this week and you've seen Avengers Assemble, oh, the Avengers, the Avengers, sorry, not Avengers Assemble, uh, 47 times, then yeah, you can go see Dark Shadows. Next up we have Jeff, who lives at home, the new film from Indie Kings, the maestros of Mumblecore, the Duplass brothers. This one stars Ed Helms and Jason Siegel as two brothers. Now, what do we think of this one? This one's kind of an interesting oddity for me. I, I quite liked it, um, but it is a bit unusual. Um, basically, so uh, Jeff, who lives at home, uh, nice. <laughs> as the title would have it, uh, played by Jason Siegel, uh, mm-hmm. gets sent on an errand by his mum, who's played by Susan Sarandon. Um, she's having her own troubles that day in the office. She asks him to go and do a message for her, um, which he goes off to do. He bumps into his brother, played by Ed Helms, and also sees his sister-in-law, Judy Greer, and comes to believe that something might be going on with the two of them. But more important to Jeff is his growing conviction that destiny has a plan for him. And that's kind of where it goes from there. Okay. So are you a fan of the previous Duplass Brothers films? I mean, the likes of Cyrus? Um, I like them with reservations. I think I like this one more. I think it's a bit more warm-hearted than certainly Cyrus was. Okay. Which had moments of being quite nasty. I think this one isn't quite as nasty I mean there's not to say that there's not serious stuff in it not to say that people aren't you know dramatic in it but it isn't it, it's got more affection I think for its characters here it's a very pleasant film I think yeah. you'd be hard pressed to walk out and say I absolutely detested that movie but mm. I think what it is the not the epitome that's not the right word but what it symbolises for me is it's yet another one of those Midwest Middle America you know where you are indie Flicks. Mm. Now I like those. I, I I really do. But I've watched so many now. They have to really grab me uh, to make me laugh and make me excited about these characters. And at times, I felt that Jeff and his brother uh, Ed Helms's character, I found Ed Helms' character genuinely quite kind of irritating, and, and I didn't mm. like him. And I know that's part of who he is as a character. But I thought to myself, I want to be charmed by this film. And I found at times that maybe I wasn't. Uh, also, Susan Sarandon's troubles, as you mentioned, take a turn for the rather unexpected shall we say and I'm not sure how well I liked that the way it was handled Uh, I've watched another movie recently which isn't out yet I'm sure we'll discuss it in a later podcast called Your Sister's Sister which stars Mark Duplass um, which I liked a lot more and having watched that I kind of saw this and went 
yeah i've seen something recently that's been done better than this mm. i'm not disparaging this film but i don't think it is quite as charming as i wanted it to be yeah it's 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 nice it's likable it's maybe not it's not going to change your life no um, but i will say like a what 82 minutes long or something yeah. you know a film has to be pretty bad to be bad at 82 minutes you know <laughs> and this was pretty good know. actually I've seen some stingers at 82 minutes but, uh, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh okay. Pyramid of Light yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's three stars for yeah. Jeff who lives at home yeah. so again a recommendation but that's probably one you can wait for on DVD yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna lose something from the big screen on that one and it'll be hard to find I think it's gonna be one of those limited release numbers as There's well no so. D-Box uh, <laughs> no, no <laughs> D-Box have a As it goes up the stairs Have a character gently walking along the streets yeah. yeah. Does it recline slowly throughout the entire film <laughs> uh, This week we also have the return of Mel Gibson uh, To the big screen in How I Spent My Summer Vacation Which is called Get the Gringo in the States Where it went direct to uh, DVD, DVD. Mm. Uh, I think which is a first for Gibbo as he's known uh, affectionately in the Empire offices uh, How I Spent My Summer Vacation is a hard-boiled thriller in which Gibson's getaway driver is incarcerated in a Mexican prison this fast Mexican prison which is almost like its own city uh, there he gets involved with the residents of the prison including a mother her sick son the Mexican mafia and a horde of nasty people who are after what remains of his stolen cash now Gibson's personal problems have been splashed all over the news lately we're not going to dwell on that one uh, we are here however to tell you whether you should go and see this and as the only member of the podcast crew who has seen it I'm saying it's a return to form for Gibbo we gave it three it's solid it has a payback meets Peckinpah kind of feel there are some nice set pieces and Gibson still has that sort of world weary charisma which makes him very compelling to watch just do not bring Joe Esterhaus <laughs> he may not like it uh, also out this week is Piranha 3 Double D which hasn't yet been shown to press. Uh, I have no idea what to make of that. I can't. It must be so good they're holding it back. It That's must the be, only it must, explanation. It's too good. It's if too it's good. as good as the Gary Busey interview outtakes, which we watched in the office uh, this morning, it's going to be amazing. It, it's yeah, got to yeah. be. It's the Godfather it? Part Two of uh, <laughs> Fatal Fish adventure <laughs> films. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Maybe Gary Busey, the piranha, may have met their match. He may be. <laughs> honestly, if I had piranha and I saw Gary Busey, I would, I would swim a mile. Also, out this week is Nigel Cole's follow up to Mate and Dagenham, All in Good Time, which is all in good fun. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll invite Barry Sonnenfeld, the director of Men in Black 3, into the pod booth, which is going to be enormous fun. The man is a talker. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Fare thee well. It's goodbye from Nick. Toodle pip. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye.